0: Let's pray as we come to God's word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We pray, please, Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your word, the bread of your word, would you feed our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. or well, getting someone's identity wrong, mistaking, mistaking someone's identity could be very, very embarrassing. I don't know if you know the story um, of the late queen. She was out shopping. I'm sure you've heard of her. She was out shopping in Sandringham. She didn't have her entourage with her. And a lady in a shop saw her, looked at her, and said, you look just like the queen. To which the queen famously said, how very reassuring and went on with her shopping. I'm sure that lady will never live that down. Sometimes though, getting someone wrong, mistaking their identity can be not just embarrassing, but serious. There's a tragic uh, scene in the film, A Beautiful Mind, which is based on the economist John Nash, a a brilliant mathematician who also suffered from schizophrenia. And uh, at one point, he's, he's taken into hospital which for his family is a great relief, because finally he's going to get the help and the medication and the support from expert doctors that he really desperately needs. But because of his delusions, John sees uh, the doctor and thinks that he must be a Soviet spy, and so tries to escape. Sometimes getting someone wrong can be really serious with huge consequences. Well, this morning we're thinking about Jesus and who Jesus is and asking the question, have we got Jesus right? Have we understood him rightly or have we mistaken his identity And this really is a crucial question for all of us, whether you're investigating the Christian faith, perhaps from outside the faith, but looking into it, or whether you've been following Jesus for years and years and years. This is a really crucial question. The late Tim Keller um, often met believers and unbelievers grappling with questions of faith, um, asking questions like... um, on Jesus' teaching. How can Jesus say what he says about marriage and divorce and greed? How can he say those things? How can Jesus say what he says about hell? How can he teach those things? It doesn't sound right. And time and time again, Tim Keller would bring them back to the question of Jesus' identity. And he said, look, if Jesus rose from the dead, if he is who he says he is, Uh, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead and he isn't who he says he is, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead and is who he says he is. So have you understood Jesus rightly? It's a fundamental question. Well, last week, if you were with us, in the first part of Acts chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit arrive as promised, enabling the believers to speak um, in other languages that they'd never learned. And we saw Peter stand up and address the crowd that had gathered uh, and telling them that they, were, that they had witnessed the dawning of a new era, the last days, the era of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of cut off rather artificially halfway through that speech Last week. But from this point on in Peter's speech, it is all about Jesus. You probably picked that up from the reading. It's all about Jesus of Nazareth, he, the Messiah, the Lord, he, him, the whole way through. And Peter, it's really an argument. It's all because of this, and you know this, and therefore. And it all heads towards verse 36 when Peter lands his speech with his conclusion. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That is where Peter's speech lands and is heading. And so that really is our application uh, for the sermon this morning. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is Lord, that is he, is, he rules, he is in charge. He is the one who's gonna come back on the glorious day of the Lord, verse 20. He's the one whose name we must call on if we're going to be saved, verse 21. He is Lord and he is Messiah, that is, he is God's promised saving king. He is Lord and Messiah. He is sovereign and savior. He is ruler and rescu- rescuer. And Peter says to them, let all Israel be assured of this. Know this for certain. So how can we know this for sure? How can we know for sure that Jesus is Lord and Messiah? Well, we've got to go back and see how how Peter comes to this conclusion. You see, in his speech, Peter offers three proofs of Jesus' identity. You know what it's like when you're asked to prove your identity. Maybe you've gone into the bank, you're applying for a bank account, or you're applying for citizenship, or it's for something or other, and you've got to prove your identity. So you know how it works. From list one, you go and you find your your passport. Uh, From list two, you've got to find a utility bill in the last three months, and you find that. From list three, it's a bank statement to prove who you are. Well, God didn't send Jesus to earth with a recent utility bill or a passport to prove who he was. What was Jesus' proof of identity? Well, Peter highlights three. Firstly, his miracles. Have a look at verse 22. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles see Peter's mir- excuse me Jesus's miracles that was like his proof of address that was like the utility bill proving that he was from heaven sent by God. And Peter says, as you yourselves know. Over the years, as I've thought about um, Jesus' miracles, I've been really helped by um, people who've thought about it carefully and written about them and have defended Jesus' miracles against those who would just dismiss them as nonsense. And I can certainly point you to some helpful resources on that. But what I think is really interesting here is that as Peter addresses this crowd, he doesn't defend Jesus' miracles. He doesn't need to. Why not? Because these folk that he's speaking to were there when Jesus did them. God did these miracles through Jesus among you as you yourselves know It's as if Peter says to them, look, I know that you're rational people, and in a moment, I'm going to take some time uh, to speak to you about what you haven't seen, about Jesus' resurrection, and I'm going to give you, offer you reasons why you can believe that confidently. But in terms of his miracles, I don't really need to say very much, because you know about them already. He did them among you. Maybe some of you were there when he fed the 5,000, and you ate some of that bread that he miraculously made. Maybe some of you know uh, someone whom he had healed. You know about his miracles already. You were there. You saw. So the first proof of identity that Peter offers them, Jesus' miracles. Second proof of identity is Jesus' resurrection. So looking here at verses 23 and 24. Peter says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Note Peter doesn't say, Jesus rose from the dead, And I don't want you to think too much about it, but just believe it, okay? Don't think about it, just believe it. Close your eyes and hope with all your will that it's true. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus rose from the dead, and let me now tell you why you can be sure of that. He offers two grounds. He says, King David, a thousand years before, foresaw it. Uh, Peter takes them back to what King David wrote in Psalm 16, the heart of which is here in Acts 2, verse 27, where David says to God, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And Peter asks, who's David talking about here? You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Who's he talking about? And Peter says, clearly, he's not talking about himself. Clearly, because because King David died and stayed dead. He says to the crowd, you know that. You've probably visited his, his grave here in Jerusalem. If you haven't, you can go and do that this afternoon where you will see for sure that David died and stayed dead. And that fact means that David was not here talking about himself. Rather, Peter says, David was talking about his descendant. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in our home group, looking at 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah, would rule on his throne forever. And Peter says, look, with David, with that promise swirling around his head, he wrote this psalm, not about himself, but looking ahead, looking at what was to come, speaking not about himself, but about the promised Messiah, that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor would his body see decay. David foresaw the Messiah's resurrection. And not only that, but Peter goes on and says, and we also have seen it. We have seen the risen Jesus. Verse 32. Again, note that verse 32 doesn't say, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we know that for sure because, well, my sister's husband's friend Um, who's a really reliable person. I can't remember their name, but really reliable. Um, He is almost certain that he saw the risen Jesus' shadow the other night when he was putting out the bins. No, 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 he doesn't. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter is saying, I saw him with my own eyes. I spoke with him. I even watched him eat. And not just me, it was us, all of us here and not just once or twice, but on multiple occasions. We are witnesses of it. So here is Peter's second proof of Jesus' identity. We had his miracles. Second way God proves Jesus' identity, his resurrection. King David foresaw it, and we have seen him with our own eyes. Third proof of identity, verse 33, Jesus' ascension. Have a look at verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus' ascension his being exalted to the right hand of God. That is his coronation as Lord. Yes, Jesus was Lord from birth. But his ascension, that is when he takes his seat on the throne. That is when, if you like, God, the Father, puts the crown on his head and confirms that reality. Now Peter says to the crowd, you didn't see Jesus go up into heaven, we did, you didn't. But what you've just seen this morning, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, people speaking other languages, that is the fruit of his rule, that is the proof that he reigns. The effect Of his reign. Let me illustrate it a bit like this. King George VI was crowned as king on the 12th of May 1937 at Westminster Abbey. Now, it wouldn't surprise you to know I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And I don't actually think I've seen any footage of it. Though I might be wrong in that. But I know it's true that he was crowned as king because I've seen the fruit of his reign. In fact, very recently, uh, we were visiting my mum and dad, and um, we were talking about the Second World War, and my dad went away and pulled this um, out of his uh, drawer. Um, it was a letter from the king. I'll put a big... A letter from King George the Sixth not just to him, but to all of the uh, children in the UK at the time. Saying today, as we celebrate victory right on the end of the war, I send this personal message to you and all other boys and girls at school, for you have shared in the hardships and dangers of a total war and have shared no less in the triumph of the allied nations. Signed at the bottom, George. Uh, the fruit of his rule, evidence that he was on the throne. And so I can know that he was crowned. Well, Peter says to this crowd, what you've just seen and heard this morning, hearing all of us speak in other languages that we have never learned, that is like this letter. It is, like the, the, it is the effect of his reign. It's the fruit of his rule, proof that he reigns and rules. So three proofs of identity. Jesus' miracles, which you yourself saw. Jesus' resurrection, which David foresaw a thousand years ago, and we saw with our own eyes. And Jesus' ascension, the fruit of which you have seen this very morning with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter lands and concludes in verse 36. On this basis know for sure, be absolutely confident and totally cast iron sure, this Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is ruler and rescuer. He is sovereign and savior. You can be sure. Well, that was the proof that, that Peter gave to them then. And it's the proof of identity that he did the proof of identity that he also gives to us today. Someone was sharing me this week about their frustration with their bank. Uh, They were in the bank and trying to prove to their bank their identity, and it was incredibly frustrating. Now, this person had every single document underneath the sun. They had their passport. They had identity cards. They had letters from the government. They had utility bills. They did everything proving their identity without a shadow of a doubt. But the bank clerk wouldn't have it. You know, I can see all of these documents, but you've got nothing here from list four. So I'm really sorry we can't accept it. Infuriating, how unreasonable. But here's the thing, when it comes to Jesus' identity, we need to be very careful that we don't act like that bank, demanding that Jesus prove his identity to us on our terms. Saying, you know, I can see all of Jesus' miracles recorded in the Gospels. And I can see what the apostles wrote about their witness of him and seeing him risen from the dead. And I can see what they said about his ascension. And I can see the effects of his rule as the Holy Spirit is poured out. And I can see the effect of that even 2,000 years later as the church has grown and grown and grown. I can see all that. But he's never actually appeared to me personally. I've never actually heard him speak audibly like the apostles did. So I'm afraid, I'm sorry, but I can't accept who he is. We need to be very, very careful that we don't act like that. Of course, all of us would love it if the risen Jesus appeared to us personally like he did to the apostles. All of us would love it if he would speak to us audibly to them, to to us as he did to them, and that we could see him eat in front of our eyes. It would be amazing. But he doesn't offer to do that. And in truth, he doesn't need to. He has already provided ample evidence of his identity. And so to refuse to accept his identity because we don't have that level of proof of list five, that would be unreasonable. That would be... Unnecessary. Now, on the basis of Jesus' miracles that we read about in Scripture, his resurrection, the witness of which again we read about in his ascension, on that basis, we can be absolutely cast iron sure that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, sovereign and Saviour, ruler and rescuer. Well, this crowd is persuaded. And more than that, they recognize that Jesus' blood is on their hands. Some of them had dismissed him. Some of them perhaps had called for his crucifixion. Others had been very glad to see him gone. But now, as they realize who Jesus is, their faces turn pale. Perhaps even tears begin to stream as it dawns on them what they have done. They are cut to the heart and they ask the apostles we realize what we've done we've realized we have killed the Messiah what must we do and amazingly Peter is able to offer them hope he says you need to do two things firstly you need to turn secondly you need to trust you need to turn so verse uh, 38, Peter says, repent. Repent means turn around, uh, turn back to God, turn away from your rebellion, turn. Uh, take the crown off your own head and put it back onto Jesus' head. Say to him, you are the king, so please be my king. Turn, repent, you're in charge, you're the ruler, you're the sovereign. I am your subject. Peter says to them, repent, turn to him. I think of that lady in the shop. Um, My guess is that if she had realized who she was actually speaking to, being a monarchist from Sandringham, my guess is she would have curtsied. An expression of submission to her sovereign. Well, when we realize that Jesus is Lord, we too must submit ourselves to him. You are the king. You be the king. You wear the crown. We're to turn. He says, you're to turn, you're also then to trust. He says, repent and be baptized. Being baptized here is a symbol of trusting in Jesus for forgiveness, taking hold of his grace, taking hold of his rescue, letting him pull us safe to safety so Peter says repent and be baptized turn and trust that God might wipe the bloodstains from your hands and give you the gift of his Holy Spirit and amazingly that day 3,000 of them say yep that is what I need to do and are baptized We return and trust in him and that's true for us too um, if you haven't yet, this calls on you too to turn to and trust in this Lord and Messiah. Jesus is who he says he is. He has given proof of his, of his identity. He is the Lord. He is the king whom we've rebelled against. He is the Messiah whose forgiveness we need. So turn, turn to him. Put down your weapons. Turn from your sin. Turn back to him. Take the crown off your head and put it on his Turn to him and trust in him. Take hold of his rescue that your sins may be wiped out and you may be forgiven. And if you haven't yet been baptized, then get baptized. And if you have done that already, and of course many, probably most of us have, maybe even for years we have done this, I think this gives us huge reassurance. Huge reassurance. You know, the world often seems to portray Christians as gullible and crazy and irrational and deluded. But actually, by God's grace, not because we're cleverer than anyone else, not because we're better, but by God's grace, we are actually those who see Jesus rightly. He is Lord and he is Messiah. And that means that if you're trusting in Christ, you're not crazy, well, you might be crazy for other reasons, but when it comes to Jesus' identity, you are not crazy. You have not mistaken Jesus' identity. You have got him right. I don't, this shouldn't make us proud, but it should give us huge reassurance. You've got him right. And so for us, we're to keep turning to him, repenting of our sin day by day, obeying him as Lord, and trusting in him as as the Messiah come to save us. Let's pray that we might do that. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the total confidence that we can have that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, that he is King and Savior. And we pray, please, would you be at work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we might know this for sure, that we might respond to him rightly, holding on to his rescue and submitting to his rule. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.